0: Please be seated and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We'll pick up our reading with verse 8, 8 through 30. If you're reading along in our Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 938 of our Pew Bible. And while you're getting there, just as uh, Dean mentioned, Pastor Dean mentioned that we've seen uh, a number of prayer-worthy uh, things. We've a number of People in our church and associated with our church who have passed away. We've had uh, a number of people in the hospital. <coughs> excuse me, at various uh, with various degrees of difficulty. Uh, we have people with ongoing sickness in our church, and we've got just a lot of people who are sick. I see some of you spouses here, uh, without your spouses or without your families today, and so we just need to hold each other in prayer. And one good place to start is in our bulletin. You can take that home and pray along at home as well. And then also, uh, we do have the Lord's Supper next Sunday. And so take some time this week and uh, prayerfully uh, prepare your heart to benefit from the Lord's Supper as we look at the great work of Jesus Christ. We think about it, we contemplate it, and we come joyfully to celebrate what Christ has done for us Together And with that, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready to hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." And who is the God who shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command." Father, we come to you and we pray that you would apply this scripture to us today in a powerful way, uh, that we would serve you and you alone with joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was pressure on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship other than the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we look at this particular instance, uh, it may seem remote to us, Uh, the worship of other gods, uh, the worship particularly through idolatry is something that is unusual. Uh, We are getting ready to um, at least prepare to go on a trip to London, to uh, reach out to South Asians, have done this trip a few times before, and part of what you do in the learning process is... You visit houses of worship, and one of the places that we worshipped was a Hindu temple. Uh, We didn't go there to worship. We went there to observe, and what I observed was quite unusual. Uh, A whole uh, series of idols, statues, uh, laid up on the wall in front of me. It was the most foreign, unusual thing to me whatsoever. I'd never seen anything like that before in terms of religious worship. And so it's easy to think that this does not apply to us. But on closer scrutiny when we look at what the Bible says about idolatry, we read this in Romans chapter 1 verse 25. The apostle Paul says that idolatry is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. It's more than simply worshiping an image. The Apostle Paul also says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists several things, and then he says covetousness, which is idolatry. And so it is possible to serve a, an idol, something that is created rather than the creator, in a number of ways. In terms of worshiping money, in 1 Timothy 1 Timothy 6.10 we read, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and through it, through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Some have turned away from the true God to worship the false God of money. And so we need to do a little detective work this morning because it's not readily apparent like it would have been to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, If you had a uh, 90-foot idol covered in gold, which is how tall that idol would have been, in your backyard or maybe Mackenzie Park uh, set up, it would be very obvious. Uh, But that's not the case with us. We've sort of got to ferret out the idolatry in our hearts or at least the idolatry that we may be tempted uh, to engage in and worship. Tim Keller's material on the book of Galatians does a great job at doing just that. I've quoted a little bit from that in previous previous sermon, but I'd like to do that again. He starts with some quotes from various people defining what idolatry is. For instance, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that is central in my life, anything that seems to me essential. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend, anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time and attention, my energy and money. Stephen Sharnock said, each person acts as if God could not make him happy without the addition of something that is an idol. David Powlinson is in his book Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair said, that most basic question which God poses to each human heart has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken title to your hearts? Functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight. And as John Calvin has famously said, the human mind is an idol factory. We will worship something or someone. And so let me ask you a few questions again Uh, posed by Tim Keller, that expose potentially some of the idolatry in our hearts. If you are angry, ask, Is there something too important to me? Something I'm telling myself I have to have. Is that why I'm angry? Because I'm being blocked from having something that I think is a necessity when it is not. If you are fearful or badly worried, ask, Is there something too important to me, something I'm telling myself I have to have? Is that why I'm so scared? Because something is being threatened, which I think is a necessity, when it is not. If you are despondent or hating yourself, ask, is there something too important to me, something I'm telling myself I have to have? Is that why I'm so down, because I have lost or failed at something, which I think is a necessity, when it is not. Now maybe you haven't actually worshipped one of these idols, but it's worth asking what idols are we tempted to worship? Because pressure is brought to bear all around us in our culture to worship the creation rather than worshiping the one true God, the creator. And so I would ask you, Who is the one in your life that exerts the most authority, the most control? Uh, Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. Who has power functionally in your life? Who can give you a raise? Who can fire you? You know, probably over the past ten years, perhaps things are changing a little bit. Uh, If you were unhappy with your job... And uh, you wanted to complain, your employer might easily have said, well, fine, go ahead and quit. I've got 10 more people that can take your place. I mean, it was definitely a buyer's market for employers. Or perhaps you're living from paycheck to paycheck, and it would be difficult uh, to lose your job. There's pressure at times to conform, to do that which is forbidden by God, which your employer employer may want you to do or to serve the God that is driving your employer may ask you to engage in what essentially is worship of the creation rather than the creator. Now sometimes we have pressure, internal pressure to serve an idol and to worship an idol because that idol is actually very attractive and very compelling. I have to say when I went and visited the Hindu temples Uh, That was not the case. I saw these idols. They were mostly made of plastic and uh, just not really impressive. But if you have a 90-foot gold-covered statue, that's pretty impressive. And there are idols around us that are very impressive. Modern idolatry uh, has spared no expense at making itself appealing to you. In just a week, we celebrate that annual event, that annual holiday called Super Bowl. And during the Super Bowl, millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent to captivate your heart, to get you to think that you need something in order to live. You need that phone that you can open with your eyes. And you can't live without that, right? And so we have advertising agencies that are doing everything they can to captivate your heart. Ad Age has said over the last 50 years, $4.5 billion has been spent on Super Bowl advertisements. Remember one of the definitions that Stephen Sharnick said, each person acts as if God could not make him happy without the addition of something else. We look at our media and the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are spent to put together a compelling image in media. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not trashing culture and media and movies, I think uh, it's wonderful. They're wonderful artistic uh, examples of even in praiseworthy ways in which uh, the media has has brought together something that is worthy of watching and worthy of praise, but it's not always that that way. At times, media can be something used to uh, portray a very compelling idol. And we see that, for instance, uh, with our children. Um, and we go to particularly Disney. Um, Disney has a, a favorite idol that they like to portray to children. Uh, and that is meism, uh, the worship of me. And I'm not talking about the worship of Ron Brown. I'm talking about the worship of whoever happens to be watching uh, that particular movie. It's about me. It's about believing in me and achieving without any reference to God. And it's uh, more akin to the philosophy of Ayn Rand than it is the teaching of the Apostle Paul or the book of Daniel. Um, A couple of examples. um, Let it go from Frozen. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, sometimes it's even more blatant than that. Pocahontas in the song... um, the colors of the wind. Uh, Pocahontas sings, You think you can own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. That's animism. And it's the promotion of the worship of the creation. But usually, what we find portrayed is more of an upbeat meism. Uh, life is about me achieving for me Uh, parents how about sophia the first some of you familiar with sophia the first Um, you can do anything you can be anything the answer is inside of you you can do it yourself or maybe let's go back another 10 years or so arthur the kid's show some of you remember arthur the kid's show the very beginning the opening of Arthur the Kid's show, the theme song Believe in Yourself. That's the place to start. Or let's go back even a little farther. Let's talk not so much to kids, but General Culture, Whitney Houston. Uh, she sang this song. It was actually originally recorded by George Benson. Let the children's laughter remind us of how we used to be. Everyone everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I've never found anyone who fulfills my needs a lonely place to be. So I've learned to depend on me. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Now the Bible says that we're to have a sober, a realistic view of ourselves. that we are actually supposed to understand that the God has given us different spiritual gifts uh, for the building up of the church. We need to identify what those are. And not downplay the fact that he has gifted us in certain ways. And the Bible has also said, contrary to what many are teaching in in our culture with a purely naturalistic explanation of life, uh, that that would say that we sort of um, uh, arose out of the ooze and were highly developed amoebas. uh, Instead, the Bible says about human beings that we're created in the image of God. And we have great value. Bible says that and yet nevertheless the onslaught of me worship is there and so it can be tough to to pull away from the idols when around us the press of the culture is there. Um, Billions of dollars, countless hours, catchy tunes, impressive scenes, compelling storylines all for the worship of me. As the Emphasis on the worship of me led to an appreciation of me. A study of national trends in depression among adolescents and young adults published in the Journal of Pediatrics, November 14, 2016, found that the prevalence of teens who reported a major depressive episode in the previous 12 months jumped from 8.7% in 2005 to 11.5% in 2014 and that's no surprise for us we've heard those statistics before and so there is cultural pressure even when it doesn't seem like that idolatry is very effective uh, to um, to succumb and worship that idol Um, your peers your contemporaries are worshiping an idol Daniel chapter 3 the satraps the prefects the governors the counselors the treasurers the justices the magistrates and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication they all worshiped they were they were the uh, shadrach meshach and abednego's peers for them it was quite easy they were polytheistic they believed in many gods it was easy for them to just incorporate one more god everybody's doing it not just your peers not just your fellow workers not just people at your station in life everybody was worshiping the idol. Daniel chapter three, verse seven. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image. Your peers might actually tell on you if you don't worship the idol. It appears that King Nebuchadnezzar never would have known that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were failed to worship his idol if it hadn't been for their... Come patriots. There are certain Jews who among you have appointed you have appointed over the affairs of the province, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O oh king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. And finally, we see another bit of pressure, and that is the king threatens you with death. That's quite a motivation to succumb and worship the idol. and. Probably none of us have been in that particular situation before, but that would be an awful lot of pressure. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You know, idolatry is accommodating, it is flexible, it is convenient. As long as you comply with the fact that there is a diversity of gods, it's fine. Idolatry happily coexists with any other god in your life. But the one true God does not happily coexist with other gods in your life. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Or in the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. You've got to pick. And so how is it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to resist this idolatry, under such extreme pressure? Well, the first thing we see here is they knew the claim that the idol is more powerful than the true God to be bogus. You see, people manufacture idols. It's not something divine, it's something that is created. So they're not all powerful. And just look at the way in which this is emphasized here in this chapter, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was the one who created and had this idol made. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, he set it up, he set it up on the plain of Dura. Daniel chapter 3, verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had the image set up. Daniel chapter 3, verse 3, and they stood up before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Daniel chapter 3, verse 5, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Daniel three seven, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Daniel three twelve, worship the golden image that you have set up. Daniel three fourteen, you do not serve my gods, or worship the golden image that I have set up. And finally, Daniel three, eighteen, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. One commentator, biblical scholar, said of this, the writer is telling telling you that the idol is no more divine than your knee replacement. And so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're told by the king to bow down and worship the golden image, are thinking, what, do you think we're an idiot? Of course we're not going to bow down and worship this thing that you made. Secondly, one of the things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in their mindset as they approached this temptation, was they knew that God is stronger than any king. That's a huge emphasis here in this text. Because as last week we found out, the question was, what God can actually reveal what the king wanted to have revealed? And all of the wise men said, no, God can do this. And God was able to do that because he holds history. In this passage, we see King Nebuchadnezzar saying, I'm going to heat the fiery furnace up and I'm going to throw you into it if you don't obey me and no God will enable you to escape. No God will deliver you out of my hands. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us. But if he doesn't, be it known, we're not going to serve you. Worship the golden idols. You know, it sort of reminds me, I, I think about the James Bond movies, you know, the evil genius. They have the, James Bond is sort of dangling over the the shark, the man-eating shark tank. And he says to James Bond, in 25 minutes, you know, I'm going to blow up the world in, with some death ray. And and uh, And so, you know, it's going to take 20 minutes for you to be lowered into this thing. And so, I'm going to leave now. And uh, and then it's lowering. And just before the he's about to be eaten by the sharks, he, he gets out and then he escapes and then he uh, defeats the evil genius. And you think, if he's really that evil of a genius, why does he do that over and over and over again? That's how it plays on. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have none of that. I mean, he heats this furnace seven times hotter. It's like uh, he raises it to the top level of the dial you know if you have a stove that goes up to seven that's what he does he heats it just as hot as he can get it and so he believes that there is no god that will deliver shadrach meshach and abednego but they know better and we learn from this text that god himself has the power of life and death Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose uh, rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? One, two, three, four. There's four in there. But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now people have said, who is this fourth figure? And it could very well be. Uh, what's called a a pre-incarnate visit by the second person of the Trinity, Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that had come. Uh, Some have said it's an angel. Uh, In either case, God was with them, either in the form of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, or in the form of an angel that he uh, sent as his emissary. But he was there to save them, and he had the power of life and death. And we know that Jesus Christ has come to save us, that God has the power of life and death. And as we scroll forward to the New Testament, we read in Second Timothy 1, 9, and 10, "...who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ." who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so the good news... Of Jesus Christ is that he has come to destroy the power of death he did it in his own body he gave his body to die the righteous one the perfect one and then he was raised from the dead and if we put our faith in him and trust in him the Bible says you're united with him you're united with the one who was raised from the dead and so we have that life living in us now at this very moment and one day Like Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead to live, not just in spirit, not just our souls, but a new resurrected body with him. God has the power of death. We know that. We know that in a way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know. And we learn that God often saves in the fire instead of from the fire. But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. As I think of this in contemporary American cinematic treatment, what would happen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're they're coming up. They're being escorted to this fiery furnace. They feel the flames on their face. And then a character from chapter 1 and 2, Daniel, comes in, and single-handedly karate chops all these men and is able to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. You know, that's how the story would go, right? And I wonder what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking. They're they're coming up to this fiery furnace, and they're thinking, okay, well, I guess this is it. I guess God is not going to save us. And they get pushed in, and they're in the fiery furnace. And we read... That when they come out of the fiery furnace, that they're not harmed, their hair's not singed, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. I mean, when I sit around a campfire at 20 yards away, I smell like smoke. This miracle took place because God was with them in the midst of the fire. And we learn that that is often how God works. We would like for God uh, to deal with our lives and to keep us from getting into that fire, whether it's persecution For our faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's martyrdom, uh, whether it's difficulty in life, we would rather not go into the fire. And God often allows us to go into the fire and he's with us in the fire and he saves us in the midst of the fire. God doesn't always save us from physical death. He doesn't always save us from the threats of those in power. But he often saves us in the midst of the difficulty. And believing in that is an idol killer. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 remember, money can be an idol. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because we know that God is with us no matter what. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can We can endure. We don't obey the idol. We don't submit to the idol. We don't worship the idol. And so we start with this. Believe that God is walking with you in the fire of martyrdom, in the most difficult thing you can endure. Believe that God is walking with you in the fire of difficulty and persecution for your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that God is walking with you in life's difficulties believe that God is walking with you in the normal joys and challenges of life I mean sometimes it's a challenge you have multiple great options to choose from but it's still a challenge and so start knowing that God is with you behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and so we believe that he walks with, with, he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. We also know because the Bible tells us. But every day of your life, you can know the presence of God with you through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I go away, I will send my Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is as close as your heart he is residing in you. And so live out that reality, that, that conversation and prayer, that reading of Scripture and listening to the words of Jesus Christ in these Scriptures and know that because when you get to martyrdom, that's not the point at which you want to believe that it's true. All during your life, in the joys of life, in the trials of life, in the persecutions of life, even up to the point of martyrdom. And so have you come to that point in your life where you have acknowledged that you've got a problem, that the wages of sin is death, and you're liable to death, and that Jesus Christ has come, the author of life, to give you life now and forever, and he's come to be with you now and forever, and to be with you in your entire life and for all eternity? If so... Put your faith in him. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So transfer your trust in your own self. Transfer your trust from me, from yourself, to Jesus Christ. And know what it means to have God walking with you for all eternity. He's not just leading you into this relationship with himself. He's leading many brothers and sisters to that same life-saving faith. And that's why we've come together to worship today. Uh, Some of you, perhaps, if you're a a student of the Bible, uh, you'll understand you heard something that sounded familiar, that all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It reminded me immediately of that worship scene that we see in the book of Revelation, something that's going to happen in the future. And we read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, after this I looked up and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches. We have a great God that is far greater than King Nebuchadnezzar. And the peoples around King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped his idols. But one day, people from all over the world will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. All nations, languages, tribes, tongues will come together to do that. And we have opportunity when we come together and worship this morning and every Sunday morning and every time we worship uh, to, to have a foretaste of that eternal worship that's going to take place, that wonderful worship that'll take place for our God, not because Jesus Christ commands us to worship, because he's ransomed us, because he loves us, because the creator of the universe cares for us. And so we're amazed and we worship him for who he is and what he's done and the love that he's expressed to us. And so now we have an opportunity to do that. We're going to continue and we're going to worship. Pull out your bulletin. We'll sing the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Just point out a couple of the words. Wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom. We've been ransomed and he's brought many sons to glory and so we worship and praise him. Let's stand and sing together now.